Welcome to Good Business. This is Ryan Everton, and today I'll be speaking with John Elliott, the first ever CEO of Tom Shoes in Australia. What have you been uh, doing to save the world in the last few weeks since I saw you? Oh, speaking too much red wine, but, and um, we've got neighbours two doors down who are lovely people, and uh, and we went paddling down the river on Saturday down the yeah we're thirty kilometres upstream on the Yarra River. Nice. And, uh, and it's beautiful paddling. You must do it one time. Um, like we see platypus and all that sort of stuff up there. It's lovely. Awesome. And uh, so we did that on Saturday, and they asked us over for dinner on Saturday, but we were going out, so we went there last night on the condition that we'd get there early and leave by seven. So at 10.30, I was having my last bottle of uh, red wine and uh, anyhow, so I was a bit shabby this morning, but anyhow. <laughs> nice. We like shabby podcasties. <laughs> exactly. They're so, looking good. And how have you guys been? You good? Yeah. yeah, we're good. Yeah. Basically, we're starting off with our podcast of what the year and the world is going to be like in the year 2050. So. Can you give me three words that come to mind for the year 2050? Could be emotional or industrial, anything. Oh, um, three words. Uh, populated. Um, considered. Um, and caring. Awesome. Interesting. Like Why considered? Because we have to, we have to be. Uh, a, a, I think we're, you know, as a society, we're starting to consider um, our impact. Um, and in fact, I probably should have said responsible, but considered will do. I think we just have an obligation to make sure that uh, while we're on the planet, that we are more considered and more responsible um, for the for what we do and and for what impact that we have. Yeah, agree. Interesting. I agree as well. The um. What just what's the image in the background? Is that I quite like it actually. I'm just thinking, <laughs> who, who, where'd you get them made? <laughs> that's that's, uh, that's Blake. Oh, there you go. Nice. Yeah, yeah. So we we normally have heaps of shoes and all that stuff up, but we're actually transitioning our office from a subsidiary into a distributor, and so I've actually packed up all the samples. But that's Blake on his uh, on one of his first giving trips, giving a pair of shoes away to kids in need around the world. So there you go. Oh, that's sweet. So, John, you've been involved with Tom's for how long now? So again, buddy, you just broke up. Oh, break. that's right. How long have you been involved with Tom's? Um, I, uh, I found out about them on November the 11th, 2010. Um, and not that I'm great with dates, but I just have the email trail. Um, and, and literally... Uh, someone rang me up because I'd been selling shoes for a long period of time and they were just writing this article about Tom's and said it sounds awesome and obviously you being a sort of a, a shoe dog or whatever um, you, you can give me some background on it and quite embarrassingly I'd never heard of them um, so I, I didn't add a lot of depth to that conversation um, but I did I, I jumped online and, and looked up Tom's and because he I, and I said to him I said no, they give away a pair of shoes for everyone I sell that sounds incredible is it true and he said i don't know that's why i'm ringing you up and uh so i sort of you know is tom's true google and all that sort of stuff and i wrote to them literally like two hours later and said uh, i have to do this brand and it took me from then until january 2012 um to, to come on board because they were going through a huge uh growth stage at the time and uh yes i've been with them uh, six years in january actually 
the the day I finish is uh, the day before six years. <laughs> oh, <laughs> amazing! Ripped you off a day. <laughs> I, I know, but uh, but no, look, it's been it's an incredible um, business, and it's uh, I, I'm I'm really excited actually to be moving on, albeit that it wasn't what I planned, um, because I think. Um, you know, life's just about an accumulation of uh, of, of knowledge, um, and hopefully the next step is uh, a combination of everything you've learned to, to make a, a better impact or, or to to be more thoughtful. And I think Tom's has just been a lovely uh, stepping stone for me to sort of do the next thing. Um, so I've, uh, as I say, initially when I first got the phone call. I was sad for like 30 seconds and you go, get on with it, you know. It's, um, so what, but, why did they change the distributorship? We got a uh, consultant in to look at our global business and, and to uh, to make sure we were being um, prudent um, with our money. Um, yeah. So basically cost-cutting exercise, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's, that's a nice way to put it. Um, and they just sort of basically, you know, the, the traditional model of, of business, global business is to get distributors yeah. uh, and to uh, to give them the opportunity to represent the brand. The benefit of distributors is from a, uh, a cost viewpoint, it's quite minimal um, because they buy all the stock off you. Um, they buy the stock uh, as it finishes the factory, so you get all your money up front. So there's some distinct advantages of having distributors. Yeah. I was a subsidiary because I convinced them six years ago that um, it's better to own your brand. Um, and 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 I also I, I firmly believe that the the Australian consumer uh, is less likely and more reluctant to pay a premium just because we live in Australia mm -hmm. uh, than than we were uh, in 2000. In 2000, I had a brand called An One, which was a basketball company. And I could sell a hundred dollar US shoe for two hundred bucks, no problems at all, um, and no one really cared um, yeah. because you know this internet thing was just starting, uh, mm -hmm. and it's sort of it's take it's got a bit of traction since then. <laughs> and and, uh, and so obviously, you know, if, if you if you don't have a global pricing matrix, which makes sense, um, it, it's I think it's tough, you know, and I I believe that you know every global company can't use the excuse anymore, oh, well, we have distributors, which is another profit center, so yeah. uh, we're sorry when you get off the plane in LA that everything's half price. Because um, there's mixed thought in the fashion world, isn't there? So like you've got you know, Lululemon saying we need to own our own stores, you've got Icebreaker saying we need to own our own stores, and then you've got even Tom's Ward in Austin, I don't know if they still have it, they have their own cafe, yeah, so you yeah, sit yeah. have a coffee and look at shoes. Um, I don't know if you even bought a cafe into Australia, like, and so you almost got two models, which I guess like guys like Seth Gooden said that, you know, extra valued goods could become more of an experiential thing and that creates the whole value and people will pay a premium for it versus just being another average product and being distributed, right? Sure. It's, uh, well, look, and, and I'm, I, I think as, as there is in business, as there is in life, there's many, there's many paths you can take. Yeah. And you can, it can lead to success either way. Yeah. Um, and I think that, you know, I can argue if I'm in the debating team why a subsidiary makes sense. But if you chuck me in the, the debating team of why a distributor makes sense, I'll, I'll give it a crack as well. And I reckon, <laughs> yeah. you know, I could win either. It just nice. depends. I, I think that they both have, they both uh, have distinct, I, to be totally frank, I think the lovely thing about us appointing distributors, of which I'm, I'm very much a part of before I leave, 
Yeah. Um, we're very close. We had uh, meetings in Hong Kong last week and we're, we're literally sort of weeks away from signing. And I think they will bring a lot more to the business than what I would have. Yeah. Um, and like capital um, yeah. and and, uh, and all that, which we hadn't done um, as a global company. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there are... There are there's, Positives uh, and negatives. Yeah, as there, you know, whenever you hear anyone saying, this is the only way to do something, you go, yeah, <laughs> probably other ways to do it. Eh? Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's cool. Mm. And so do you think Tom started the whole movement towards this, you know, consciousness and considered and... I think it, it, it's it's certainly had a, a profound impact. I think, yeah. you know, 11 years ago in 2006 when Blake, like, I think the, the lovely thing about the story for me, there's, there's, there's so many things to talk about, but one of them is that Blake uh, helped distribute shoes to 250 kids. Yeah. Uh, so he wasn't sitting there thinking, how do I make a dent in the universe? How do I create a global company? He basically gave shoes to 250 kids and thought, actually, just by giving him one pair of shoes isn't all that sustainable yeah. uh, and, and not that thoughtful. Yeah. So he thought about it a bit and thought, well, actually, if I, if I incorporate the, you know, the whole Tom story, the, the first pair, in the second pair, the first pair price, went back and sold some to my mates, sold 500, I could give you know, these kids two pairs of shoes a year. Um, and basically it was by thinking about how do I do something good for um, something I can influence today. Yeah. Um, and from that, you know, we've now given over, you know, over 80 million kids around the world have got shoes from Tom's. Well, it's amazing. Just, the, yeah. I'm going to carry on this story because I guess like from there, you've got these thank you water-like companies who are giving product away, right? You've got Charity Water in US, which maybe came over as a spark from Tom's. I don't know. Um, what do you think the bad thing with things with the model are? Where, like, where do you think it fails? Especially when you bring in a thank you sort of company as well. And across yeah. all these, and I'm sure there's millions of others who are giving stuff away now. I think I think when you give, you have to be very cautious. Um, I, I don't think that's a negative. I just cautious think of you, you, you have to be very conscious of the people that you're giving to. Okay. Uh, I think if you give someone too much, there's the ability to, to hurt them um, yep. and to make to, to to take out any motivation to do stuff. Yeah. Um, so I think uh, anyone, and this is not a Tom's comment, this is anyone that's involved in, in thinking about giving back and helping people, um, it, it's really, really important that the integrity of that give is, is needed mm-hmm. and, and wanted yeah. and, and is continually assessed because selling shoes and selling eyewear and selling what Tom's does is a very easy process. It's been going on since Adam was a boy and you sort of go, and we know that process. Yeah. But to actually... Uh, and, and one of the, I think, the smartest thing that Blake did um, early on in the business was to allow NGOs to take control of the gift. Yeah. Um, and we now deal with over 100 NGOs. Um, and they're, they're at the coalface every day. They're, they're talking to the people that need help um, and are in by far the best position to do that. So um, I think whenever uh, you, you set up a, a program that helps others, you've just got to make sure that the integrity and the legitimacy of the give is always there. Otherwise, it just becomes a, a bit of a marketing ploy. You yeah, know? it needs to have that collaborative sense with the people on the ground. And then also, the, I guess the communities themselves are a big one because they need to take ownership over their lives and what they're doing day to day. So if they don't feel it and they feel it's a bit of a, a you know, wish wash or, or just thrown over them, they're not going to want it either, are they? 
exactly right it's and so did, did toms ever fall into that position where they'd find the communities didn't want them or look we're guided by the ngos so i've okay. got no doubt that, that we have service some communities that we don't anymore yeah um, so it's not just a matter of need it's a matter of also being able to uh to provide the answers as well it's, and i'll give you an example um, I was in a remote indigenous community um, before we started giving shoes in Australia and I went and saw the principal of the local school and I went to talk to the kids and um, and so there was no doubt in my mind there was a need for the yeah. shoes and so I rang up Tom's the next day and said hey listen you know, I met mean, there's 150 kids they're awesome uh, can you send me some shoes please and they said no no that's sort of not the way it works so uh, we <laughs> We sort of have to, you know, sit down with an NGO. We have to see if they service the community and do all that sort of stuff. And actually, when we went through the process of, of getting Save the Children to distribute shoes in Australia, it took 18 months to dot the I's, cross the T's. Um, which, uh, at the time, because I'm like I am, I was uh, slightly frustrated with the process because I wanted to do it yesterday. Yeah. But I'm, I, I can get run over by a bus uh, today, which I, I hope I don't, obviously. Um, but the giving would continue. It's not based on my passion. It's yeah. just based on the NGO's ability to say, is there a need? Can can we distribute it? And uh, and is it sustainable? And if if we took all those boxes, well, then we give. But I think it's sort of, I think it's it's nice from a business viewpoint just to make sure the integrity is always there, rather than like I, you are both passionate people as I am, and you sort mm -hmm. of. You, you come across the need and think, oh, my God, I need to do something right now. And, I, and, and it's, I think one of the learnings as I get older is that you can't do everything yourself, eh? Yeah, so yeah, and when you do, you set up a totally unsustainable business model. Yeah. Which is probably a nice segue into um, Save Our Souls. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we're getting to that. Well, in terms of Tom's, though, do you think that sort of business model and Tom's itself will be around in the year 2050? I've got no doubt it will. It's, um, and I think the potential for Tom's, I get, I get very excited thinking about uh, if, if it remains true and loyal to its purpose, which is to, to use business as a force for good um, and to make the world a better place through its business. The potential is huge um, because Tom's is limited by uh, the authenticity of our give yeah. to a large extent. It's not a... Uh, it's not an athletic brand. It's not a fashion brand. It's sort of, uh, and so if people, if we take people on a journey and they they use Toms as a vehicle to make the world a better place, in 2050, you know, I would fly on a Toms plane. Yeah. I, I would have a Toms credit card. Um, I would, uh, I would have. To give any, stuff back. I would align myself to any business that. Where, uh, where you're giving stuff back, you mean? Using Toms as an analogy to like, I buy a flight and the flight's given to someone else. Yeah, or, or just I, or Tom's I, private jet. Yeah, yeah, or, or not necessarily a one for one. Okay. And I think uh, I think the lovely thing about when Tom started is that's so simple. Yeah. Like, I buy a pair of shoes, they get a pair of shoes. But I think as we evolve, um, as business evolves, not only Tom's. Yeah. You have to make sure that you remain relevant and you evolve. Um, so I think the one for one model, there's no doubt internally that's evolving into different things. But don't you think in like 250, which you were saying is 30 years away, like 3D printing is probably going to be extended by that point. Like what, and maybe it comes back to save your souls in a second is like, can you not build a shoe that can last forever? And can you not at least build a system in the middle where anyone can fix a shoe regardless of where they are? 
and have it last forever in that instance or someone can actually almost print or make a shoe in a very simple process anywhere in the world and the giving maybe then becomes 3D printers or something related to that or designs which is an open source design which means you don't even need to ship a shoe or need a distributor by that point so they're irrelevant sure. um, yeah, no, lucky I, you I got see. out now <laughs> good timing 3D printers are really um, you know it, it's, it's, it's happening now you yeah. sort of go, but it's it's quite hard to do. It's quite expensive, but you know maybe in time you'll be buying patterns off people that you like, yeah. and you're printing them at home. Um, and, and are uh, you guys even considering that, or is that not really in the pipeline for Tom's at the moment? I, I think, I, I, to be honest, I don't know. You, yeah. you'd have to ask the leadership. I would think though, being selling shoes, you sort of go. I, I know that the likes of Nike and Adidas and all that certainly uh, would be heading down that track and you sort of go and it, and it's not the distance future it's here now it's just how, how do you make it commercial and, and, and how does it look yeah you know, what is it how does it make sense so I think um, yeah, I think we'll see that before you know 2050 I guess it's you know we, we have to come we have to come understand that we, we if you keep using finite product infinitely you're going to run out. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not a smart bloke, but I can work that one out. <laughs> yeah. and you go. So I think some, sometime between now and 2050, we have to say, okay, we have to be more responsible and we have to be more caring. And so, how do we reuse? And things like uh, 3D printing, I think, are part of the answer. They're not the total answer, but I think yeah. it's as always, it's a combination of things to make to make it better. Yeah, I think this is a good segue as well because. <laughs> Um, I listened to Blake's interview with Claire Press on her podcast, Wardrobe Crisis, and he was talking about Tom's and how, you know, while they're uh, sustainable in a lot of areas, the environmental part probably isn't there at the moment, and there's more that they could be doing in that area. So talk to us about your project and your company that you started, Save Our Souls. Yeah, Save Our Souls. So that, that started when I was uh, with Nike. I, was, I had a five-year deal with Nike that I looked after their outdoor brand, and um, so which I did. It was called ACG. Is When I was a retailer, it was my favourite part of Nike. It was sort of uh, pretty cool and pretty um, technical, and it was nice. Anyhow, they gave it to me, and, uh, and, and, but it was a, a bit of a, uh, a moving target, may I say. Uh, that was when they were doing SB and they had sort of a, a winter range and then they had ACG. So it was sort of a bit of a problem child. And um, so after uh, 18 months, I sort of, I, I, I stuck with it. I did it for five years, but I started sharing their environmental group uh, in, in Australia, uh, which was called the Green Team. Um, so I changed the name straight away. Um, <laughs> I, I just think that's very yesterday Um and uh, so we call it the considered team, which is a Nike sort of word that they use when they look at their apparel to, to do have the best possible outcomes, both from a product and planet viewpoint. Um, and uh, and so I, through that, I, I found out about Nike Reuse the Shoe. And uh, so I started that in Australia and New Zealand and uh, and funded it. And uh, and it was it was great. And sort of through the education of thinking about shoes and all that, just to put uh, the problem in perspective, you know, the in Australia and New Zealand, we import 100 million pairs of shoes every year into Australia. Um, and if they're not in your cupboard, they've gone to landfill. And you go, 
well, that's that, like there's no other word for it. That sucks. And you go, and I've been selling shoes now for 30 odd years. So, albeit that I'm not responsible for a hundred million pair a year, um, I, I've been responsible for some of that. And you go, well, if I've got the opportunity to uh, to make a difference, uh, not to fix the world's problems, obviously, but just to have an impact of where I can uh, have an input. Well, then I'll do it. So well, that's why we started that. And I sort of, and so we we would get 40 foot containers. And once they were full, we'd send them back to America, and uh, and they would recycle them in America. And I was when I went to America, I went to their factories, had a look how it was done. It was a fairly simple process. Um, well, simple for me, but <laughs> sort of I tend to fly at thirty thousand feet, so don't get down into the nuts and bolts. But I thought, oh, we could do that in Australia. And um, so we then uh, I started looking of how to make the, pro- the the system better. You know, it was it was better than sending them. To landfill, putting them in a container and send them to America, but it seemed better to recycle them in Australia. And so um, I, I met a guy uh, that recycled tyres, and uh, and we went through the process of you know can we recycle shoes, and um, and so we started doing that in Board Meadows in, in Melbourne. And then I left, you know, five years was up. I sort of uh, I, I kept chairing their environmental group for about another eighteen months, but I wasn't earning an income from them. And then I thought, well, I, I'm not going to fund Nike. You know, they've got plenty of money, a lot more money than I'll ever have. Um, so I started Save Our Souls. Um, and that also allowed Nike to continue uh, recycling um, because it wasn't uh, a Nike initiative. It was a John Elliott initiative, I guess. But talking about setting up a sustainable business model, I think it's really important to just to share that, you know, I, I'm, I'm passionate about this. And you sort of go, okay, well, I'll get shoes and... Um, and you've got to remember to throw a pair of shoes into your bit at home. The environmental cost is significant, but the financial cost to you is nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, and because as a society we don't factor in environmental costs, unfortunately. Yeah, they're not those. They're intangible costs. We don't ever think or see them really. Yeah, so people correct. just you know blinded by them. They're certainly there, aren't they? Oh, yeah. definitely. But so we have to then. So what we're asking the consumer is: Oh, now there's a cost, financial cost. In looking after the planet, and uh, some people go, I'm really prepared to do that, and others go, Hey, listen, you know, money's pretty tight. I'm not prepared to do that. So you have to try and work out uh, to keep your costs to a minimum. Which the way I did that is that I unloaded the containers with my wife on the weekends, um, and I would throw them on into the machine for free, you know, and all that. So, so we sort of, but then you go, Well, um, you know, I'm 56 now, not that I'm old, but you go, I can't keep throwing them in the container by myself. There has to be a better system um, because if I do get hit by a bus this afternoon, I want um, Save Our Souls to continue. And to be honest, I'm probably not exactly there yet. You know, it's still half on, I, I have to sort of keep the, the, the wheel greased, um, but I'm, I'm very cognizant that I have to uh, create a system that's, that's self-running. Um, because it's a really, it's an important problem. You say 100 million pairs of shoes, we probably recycled sort of 60, 70,000 pairs last year. It's, we're just sort of scraping the surface. And, um, and, and again, all this, the, the product that we make shoes out of is, is, um, is not infinite product. You know, it's sort of, oh, I'm sorry. Bloody hell, John. I think so, that was on the rules. Turn your have, phone off. Or <laughs> <laughs> well, someone trying to recycle their shoes. <laughs> so, now it won't bloody turn off. I do apologise. <laughs> there you go. It's off now. So, 
Anyway, I was rather going too much in here. No, um, absolutely. <laughs> um, do you think, you know how, um, well, for tyres, for example, you know, you said you spoke to a tyre recycler and I've worked in that industry around tyre recycling before and looking at the legislation of that in Australia and we pay a cost when we go and have our tyres changed over. You know, it can yep. be anywhere up to five bucks a tyre to pay for the recycling cost of that tyre. Mm-hmm. So it gets picked up and from that um, from that store and taken out to the recycler. Do you think a levy or a premium when you purchase something could be a way to offset the recycling of it? Absolutely. It's um, and and you're right in the tyre industry, but it also in um, in the um, e waste industry. You know, there's a um, and and pretty much coming out of Europe. You know, that's where we that's where it tends to come from. Is that there's you know a product stewardship cost at the front end to enable the back end, mm-hmm. um, which I think is great and it's certainly a stepping stone. It doesn't mean that it's it's the right. The process is then always correct. No, it doesn't mean it's actually going to be recycled. It could still end up in landfill and cost you five bucks more. <laughs> exactly right. It's, um, and I think one of the, if we if we go back to 2050, one of the you know the criteria that you would hope is that when we import product in, into Australia, and it's past its life cycle, it's our obligation to keep it in Australia. It's our obligation to use the product. Because um, what we do at the moment, and this includes tyres, we have a, you know, we have a, 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 a uh, I'm sure in the UN there's there's a, a, an agreement between all companies that you're not allowed to transport waste. Um, yeah, the Basel a, Convention. Yeah, there you go. It's, uh, <laughs> and if, but if you cut a tyre in uh, four bits, it's no longer a tyre; it's now rubber. Yeah. Um, and so most of our tyres in Australia go back to uh, China and India and Vietnam. Uh, and Vietnam and get burnt. Yeah, oh, in really? the backyards. Yeah, that's Crazy. that process that I worked in. I worked with the Boomerang Alliance, and I went to Vietnam and documented, recorded, and and made some um, small videos about the tire process and how Australia was sending all our waste tires to Vietnam, and people were burning them in their backyards. So the human health problems were astronomical, and then also the tires were sitting around like um, artificial water receptors because they were full tires. And they were collecting water, and then the rise and rate of dengue fever was going through the roof because all these uh, mosquitoes were just breeding and like, in people's backyards. So it was super sad. Yeah, it's it, and it's, it is super sad, and you sort of and I don't understand um, how as a society we accept it. Um, and I, I think sometimes it's just through ignorance, and there's probably no excuse for that. Being, you know, you can type anything on Google, and it'll tell you what, what what's going on to some extent. But I think there's we, the, the idea is that we are a global community and we're a global village. Um, and just because someone's burning off in a street that you can't see, it's still the air that I breathe. It's still the oceans I swim in. And, and you sort of, so we have a, I, I think there's an obligation by 2050 to be true global citizens um, and to, you know, which is really easy to say, but very, very hard to, I think one of the challenges of that is not only to look after the environment better, but also to accept diversity better. Um, and to truly embrace diversity, um, as, as long as I guess you, we're all sitting at the same table, because it depends who sets the uh, the parameters of what diversity is allowed, uh, is a really interesting subject. I think it's. Um, but um, anyway, I, I, I digress. Do you think you could build it? Like I know in the tire industry, didn't they at some point realise that? Or no, it was Nike, wasn't it? That 
certain rubbers could be last forever, but people weren't buying shoes, so they actually designed the shoes to only last a year. You'd know better, this better than me, but I have heard somewhere that the shoes actually designed to last a year to, to consume shoes, where you could actually build a shoe that would last a long time. Yeah, I haven't, I, look, I think it's fair to say as an a, as a umbrella comment, the planned obsolescence is built into a, a lot of product. Okay. Uh, in fact, the frustrating thing is that uh, not so much, I, I don't think, footwear, because we just throw that away to a large extent. Um, but, you you know, if you, if you have a dishwasher that breaks down, it's cheaper to go out and buy a brand new one to get something. It is today. Yeah. Thanks to Kmart. Oh, yeah, and it's like the same as a, you know, printer for your computer. Oh, yeah. It's yeah. usually cheaper just to go buy a new one than it is to get the inks refilled or buy new ones. It's mental. It's, it is crazy. It, it's funny. It, it is exactly. We, we moved offices last year, and the printer I had, which I had from home, which was a very, like, it cost me an enormous amount of money, but it was like 14 years old. Yeah. So, <laughs> the printers have come a, a fair way in that case. And I actually, I went to Officeworks uh, reluctantly because I had to buy a new computer, and it cost me uh, $380, and it does it, like everything. It's wireless, it's color, it's all yeah, that. Yeah. But then the the, uh, the color printer I needed to do refills, and it was almost exactly the same price as buying a new printer, just the refill. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it actually worked out cheaper if I bought a whole new printer with the ink in it. <laughs> and you just go, oh my God, what a sad society we are. And I think that's, it, it's sort of, we've got to go beyond, uh, it's cheaper doing it this way, because the, as I say, all we factor in as a society is the financial cost. Well, and if we start factoring in the environmental costs, It'd scare all of us, mm-hmm. as it should. A lot of a lot of people say that oh, you know, consciousness will change and people will start caring, and that will drive change, right? Do you think that's true, or do you actually think it actually has to be something designed from the companies on the offset, or does everyone suddenly become more conscious after by two thousand fifty? Everyone's thinking, I care. I'm going to walk down the street and drop my shoes off at this recycling centre, and I am going to go get a refill. I think they. Um, I think they. Uh, I think people today care. I don't yeah. think that care factor is going to go up. I just think that we, as a society, it's not a, 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 It's not on our radar because for a lot of reasons. I think I don't think the government um, take it seriously enough. I don't think yeah. that they show any leadership in this area. Um, and I'll give it again. I'll, I'll just go back to um, uh, to save our souls. I know. I had a meeting with a, a government minister years ago and basically was saying, hey, look, you know, we can get old shoes and we can make them, you know, matting out of them and uh, we yeah. can actually make uh, new sports grounds out of old sports shoes. Nice story. And he said, <laughs> oh, that's awesome. You know, he said, how much money do you want? I said, actually, I don't want any money because, um, yeah, Kathy, oh, I work for free. You know, it's fine. <laughs> I said, but what I want you to do is I want you to change the legislation so when you buy a rubber compound, that there's a percentage of recycled from Australia in it. And and his words were, and I won't comment who it was, and it doesn't really matter, but it, it, it's I think it's the attitude of the government is, mate, I can give you money. Because I've got, you know, no worries, so I can give it. Change legislation. Now, we're going to election in 18 months, and it wouldn't go through anyhow, and it just, and it was almost put in the too hard basket. Yeah. And you think there has to be, um, the money is our money, by the way, you know, yeah. the government people, uh, we give it to you. Um, so to give some back is fine, but I think there has to be a commitment to say, regardless of whether it's Liberal, Labor, whoever it is, just to make a commitment to start treating finite product infinitely and, and making some allowance for that. Um, 
So I think, yeah, the government... So I think people do care, but we're sceptical. Um, and, and it's also, you know, it's a... It, it, I think the, the radar is there, but you sort of... My first reaction about Tom's was, is that true? Yeah. Not, oh, my God, isn't that lovely? And so, so I think we've, we've got a healthy scepticism and we're not sure how to make the world a better place. Yeah. In my mind, I'm very clear that it'll be business that makes the world a better place and we vote every day with our dollars and I give my dollars to people that I think are doing a good job. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think there just has to be a stronger belief that businesses aren't out there to get you, that some businesses out there are there to change the world and, yeah. they, and, and they need people to support them. Well, on that topic of legislation, though, having that top-down approach with legislation enacted for certain businesses to do a better thing or the right thing, that will definitely help, though, won't it, to educate the public into knowing who is doing the best or not, because they should just be doing it anyway. Yeah, they should. But I think if, if we thought we saw a lot of greenwashing 10 years ago, um, hang around for purpose washing. I think the uh, we all read the same ver- surveys. You know, in Cone Communication out of Boston, their last survey told us that you know 88% of millennials want to work for a company or buy a product that has a positive social impact. Yeah. Now, you can ignore 88% of millennials if you like, but you'd be a bit silly to do so, I <laughs> And you go, and is that 88 going to go down to 60 or will it turn into 90? And you go, it's, it's going to increase. There's no doubt about that. So I think every company is saying, well, we, you know, we care. Uh, and, and, and hopefully that's true. Yeah. Um, so sort of say, how do, you, how do you decipher what's good and bad? Because there were people that, uh, you know, when uh, climate change became, when people, well, most people accepted it's a reality, and, and business was saying, well, we care about that. You sort of go, actually, some of them, it was greenwashing. It was just a, it was a joke. And so we have to be careful as a society that purpose washing, we just don't believe companies um, because they tell us they care. Well, an example of that is a bottled water company saying, I'm going to sell you a bottle of water, right? And I'm also going to give a bottle of water to someone in Africa and we're going to do good, right? And that's, almost, that's purpose washing and, and then green's just ignored in the whole picture because I'm giving, selling a bottle of water and giving a bottle of water away. Yeah, not doing anything with the waste from it and leaving in a country where they probably don't have a waste system to even deal with it. Correct. So, sort of, so yeah, we have to, we have to be um, always cautiously op- optimistic um, but make sure that we sort of... And I think this is where um, having a certification, again, I, I guess... It sort of like works. a purpose certification? So it's like... Tom's certified? B Corps. Oh, okay, B Corps, okay. What, what B Corps? Didn't you pick that segue is, up? <laughs> yeah, sorry. <laughs> it set it up beautifully. Uh, the, the, I think the thing I love about, um, again, is three people that want to make a difference in the world. If we were all put into separate rooms and we'd never met, um, our, our, our doing good stuff would all be different. I, yeah. There would certainly be an overlap. But there's really no roadmap, is there? And you sort of go, I think the, lo- the lovely thing about the, the B Corp community is that there is, it does provide an assessment tool, which is totally free of charge. Yeah. Uh, and, and my dream is not for all companies to become a B Corp, but for all companies to, uh, to understand that they can use their business for good. Yeah. And, and our role in the, in the B Corp community is to find companies that are good and to shine the light on them um, so other people are inspired uh, to make change mm-hmm. and a, a bit like Tom's did Tom isn't a B Corp but it's certainly very committed to the purpose so it's um, and why isn't so it a yeah. B Corp 
Um, <laughs> well, <laughs> it's a good question. It's, uh, I think the, there's certainly an internal desire to become one. I yeah. haven't talked to, you know, Blake, uh, and as you can imagine, over the last six years, I've talked to everyone in the building about becoming a B Corp. And there's certainly, yeah, you know, we, we, uh, we are committed to use our purpose, uh, our business, uh, to provide positive outcomes. Um, and we see B Corp as a, uh, as a successful way of doing that. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it's not the only way. You know, Blake uh, with Richard Branson and others uh, uh, started the B, um, oh, is that of Europe, um, the B community, I think it was called. B team? Um, no, sorry, it was the B team. Thank oh, you. yeah. Uh, so Jochen Zeitz, uh, all those guys, you know, yeah. and, and very influential, very important people that um, have made commitments to, to uh, become carbon neutral by 2050. And what's the difference between a B team and a B Corp? The way I see it uh, is that they both have the same, they both want to use their business for good. One provides an assessment tool and one doesn't. Okay. Um, and and the, I think the really lovely thing is that when the B team started, it was, it was very much embraced by the, the B Corp community and B Lab to sort of say, hey, look, we, we, it's not an us versus them. This, there's no right way or wrong way to do this. It's about a true collaboration piece. And it's yeah. interesting how the B team use the B Corp assessment tool um, oh, to, to provide a... They stole it or they actually use it? <laughs> they, sorry, do that? they steal it or do they actually use it? It's, it's there to be used by all. You can't oh, do okay. something that's free. <laughs> steal like an artist, Picasso. <laughs> It's, um, and I think this is this is a really and it fills um, it fills me with just so much enthusiasm and and positive thoughts because when you look at uh, using your business for good and when you look at the space I look I use Nike as an example you know it's a, who are a very competitive company you yeah know, and are very successful but in uh, you know Hannah Jones and her team. Uh, are truly collaborative. Anything they learn, they'll share, as Patagonia do. Avon yeah. Sherman, yeah. you know, he's my idol. I put him up there and, and I revere the ground he walks on because it's it sort of, they are true uh, changes. They're, they're people that will make the world a better place through collaboration, yeah. not through keeping secrets and all that. And I think that's where this is a really inspiring place because um, the B team, B Corp, the, the, the community as a whole, it's not. A competitive space it's a it's a learning space where we all have an obligation to help each other and you would hope by 2050 that 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 would be recognized as opposed to being cutting edge um, or um, early adopters it's just you cannot have a business and I think this is starting to happen now unless your business has a, a unique selling proposition which is almost unheard of these days it was probably more likely in the 80s you sort of go now it's about if you don't do things that are good for the uh, for people, profit, and planet. I, I know I wouldn't buy it. Mm-hmm. You, you know, wouldn't. I just I, I wouldn't think of buying. And I think the consumer, the buying triggers uh, are no longer early adopters. As I say, 88% of millennials, so who represent almost half the workforce. You know, it's sort of it, it'll just become normal that business is there to make the world a better place. Yeah. Mm. Interesting. Is that why? Like, I mean, just for a bit of a backstory for everyone, what is your involvement with B Corp and that whole collaborative and educational realm? Is that why you got involved? I, I was fortunate enough, I, I mentioned uh, briefly before that um, I, uh, I 
started a company called M1. I was the general manager for the company in Australia, uh, which was a basketball company, very cool, um, all that, so everything I'm not. Um, but it was, uh, it was great. It was the first time I'd introduced a brand into Australia. And two of the founders were Jay and Bart, who were the two founders of B Corp. Terrific people um, that I feel privileged to call my friends. And I really got to know them quite well at the, in the M1 uh, community. And when I left that, uh, we re remained friends. And in fact, both of them and their wives have come down and we've started with Sundays together and just, you know, legendary people. I love them. And, uh, and so when they started the, the B Lab and sort of said, yeah, we want to use business for good. And there was a lot of strong learnings from that from when they sold M1. I sort of said to them, you know, whatever I can do, I, I, I'd love to, to be involved because I was on that journey, I guess, as an individual. Um, and it just sort of happened that, you know, when, uh, when uh, small giants sort of started the, the ball rolling in uh, Australia, uh, in a very short time frame, I was actually at a lecture and someone got up and started talking about the B-Lab community. I thought, oh, they're my mates. And, I, and uh, anyway, so I sort of, I became a founding board member and, and uh, we've been on board for, I guess, four or five years in Australia. It's been 10 years uh, globally. And it's, it's, a, it's a lovely group. Hmm. Who else is on it with you? Plus uh, Jay and all just independent people that sort of care. There's a couple, as I say, small giants were very instrumental in the what, start. What is small giant, sorry? Yeah, it's, a, uh, it's owned uh, by a private company and they're investors um, and people that certainly walk the walk. You know, they okay. all their businesses sort of give back and all that. Uh, Danny Armagor uh, and his wife um, sort of own that. And, uh, and now you saw the B Corp uh, story and loved it. And, uh, and so um, while Danny's not on the board, Maliani, who works for him, is the chairperson. And, uh, and we have, I think, about seven or eight board members, but quite diverse uh, backgrounds, yeah. um, all wanting to, to, um, to help the, the B Corp community um, become bigger yeah. and, uh, and to shine a light on people doing good stuff. And so do you have like B Corp meetups or whatever across Australia and all sorts or how's it sort of yeah, work? Yeah. Oh, you do? We, we, have, we had our, uh, a global meeting last April in Alice yeah. Springs and, um, and that, was, that was inspiring. As it is, you know, when, you, when good people all get together with a, yeah. a, true, a true intention of, of, um, of making the world a better place through their business, the amount of energy and camaraderie that that builds is is uh, inspiring. It's sort of, and I, you know, through those through my B Corp community, I'm sure that's where my future will lay. I, I think uh, I've met so many smart, good people that are just doing so many good things around the world, um, which is why I'm hopping on a plane the second week of January to go and talk to one of them and see if we can't do something great in Australia with what they're currently doing. Nice. Yeah, which would be great. So no, very inspiring community. And as I say, it's sort of our intention is not to make everyone a B Corp. It's just really to, to, to find companies that are doing good stuff and shine the light on them so that we inspire others and, and, and truly make the world a better place. Yeah. Hey, John, like, you can see, like, see your enthusiasm and hear the enthusiasm in your voice about working and being inspired by people that are doing the right thing or trying to do the right thing. Um, so when did that start to happen for you? When did you start feeling that or, or want to work in that space? 
It's, um, I, I read Tim Flannery's book about climate change, and I think it's a, it was a, it's a combination of things. I think it's probably uh, when we were little, we went camping a lot, um, and so uh, and, and Dad would probably sort of say, well, we couldn't afford anything else. Um, but you know, so we, there were six kids, and uh, and so we we were sort of it, it, it wasn't foreign to us to be out in in the wilderness and and to be in a tent and, and sort of. And then as I grew up, you know, living in Western Australia, particularly I went to Germany, but when I came back to Western Australia, I started surfing, and so you're in the oceans, and you go down the Margaret River and um, carve it up or whatever. Um, but you sort of... So <laughs> hey, you guess, are cool. It, 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 Listen to your talk. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, you had to see me surf. You'd be like, well, I, I was actually on a... I had a paddle. So I think you know what they call guys with paddles, and I was one of them. It's... Um, <laughs> But it was great, and I, I, so I guess there's always been a connection to the environment, um, and I, I think all Tim Flannery's book. I was sort of married. I had two kids, and and life is just goes on, and that was a bit of a wake up call. I, I sort of it, it reminded me how precious our earth is, I guess, and and what a uh, horrible um, way we were treating it, you know, and and sort of. And it made me sort of think, well, um, we all have an obligation. I think it's very egotistical to think, well, I can change the world. But there's no doubt that uh, if we all think that, the world changes significantly very quickly. Um, so the, um, so I, I decided then that I would sort of try and play my part, I guess. Um, and the learnings have been significant. I think when I first really embraced uh, climate change, uh, I became unbelievably scared. Uh, I became sad. I thought the world was, I thought the human race was horrible um, and how could we be doing this? And I went around and I sort of, I was working for Nike at the time and I was chairing their environmental group and Nike are a great company and sort of chairing their environmental group, I guess opened up some doors for me. So I felt it was my obligation to go around and tell every business that we are hitting tipping points. You know, the thermofrost is gonna melt soon and all that carbon is going to the atmosphere. And when that happens, I'll tell you, there's a different world. And so, and after two years, and while all that's true, um, I just felt sad. You know, and I thought, and, and it wasn't me. I, I sort of thrive on positive energy. And all I was doing was going around and polarizing people. Uh, you're either for me or against me. And I would talk for an hour and a half about climate change. And then people would just either say, mate, you, you're absolutely right and give me a hug, or that, you know. I'm, ha I'm proud to eat meat every day and, you know, don't tell me I can't. And you go, um, so I, I sort of changed tacks. And it sort of, it was interesting. I was, I was at a, uh, a weekend at Brand Mountain, um, which is um, uh, 70 kilometres inland of Orbost in Gippsland. And, uh, and Kathy and I went there to protest against the potteroos that they'd found in the logging thing. And so all these sort of, uh, you know, God love them, greenies, uh, were there and we we're all protesting and oh, I guess people would see me as a greenie or whatever but it was a very defining weekend for me because I sort of drive up, I've got a nice car which um, like I made too much money one year at Nike and went out and bought myself a, a nice hybrid Lexus which is great uh, and I still have it mind you 11 years later yes. um, so it's, I, don't, I don't turn cars over all that often but yeah I had a nice car and yeah, it was electric and all that sort of stuff and so I, I remember distinctly when we, we drove up Everyone was wondering, like, who's this dude in the nice car? You know, sort of, <laughs> you know we've got Dreddies, which we've had now for six years. Pretty proud of him. And he's got short hair and he hasn't got a beard. Like, you don't fit the stereotype. Exactly. And, I sort of, and, and as, as, 
and, and we actually it was very funny on the it was my wife's birthday on the second night and uh and here's all these young kids and blah 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 and we're sort of slightly older and we got told off the next morning by making too much noise like there was one people and, and i loved it so the cat has still got the revel in me but i thought <laughs> I think, and I, I think environmentalists, um, and I don't want to tar everyone with the same brush because, but I think there's a role to play, uh, that they have a role to play to make sure that society is aware of the issues. I think a lot of them have no desire to change, like they want to change it, but it's a radical change. Yeah. And, I, and, and God love them for it. I, I look at guys like Bob Brown and that, I just, I, if he was here, I'd cuddle him. You know, I, I'd paddle down the Franklin River and I'm so proud that he made us all aware of that, you know, many years ago, and and changed the way we thought about conserving the landscape. So they're absolutely necessary today, as as much as they were then. But for me, I thought actually that's not my role. I sort of I I've been lucky enough that I've worked for some great companies and um, and and have been sort of moderately successful in them. And um, and that's my role, I think, is to to be the conduit um, between the radical. Um, and, and business and so, so say, actually this is important enough for us to work together. This is not, you know, early adopter, screaming hippie, you know, never had a job, that sort of stuff. You sort of, no, 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 this is everyone. Whether you've got a job, whether you're a CEO of a company, we cannot ignore it. Well, we can, but we, we're seeing the outcomes of that now. And you go, so together we have to, and I guess the, the, the role we all have to play is to say, work out what your skill set is, and don't become someone that you're not, but make sure that with the skill set you've got, you do something today that has a positive impact. And if everyone did that, we would we would fix this problem really quickly. I think what people tend to do, including me at times, is look at the totality of the problem and just get sad. Mm-hmm. And and you go, but if actually if I if I walk down, I tend to live my life flying at thirty thousand feet, looking down on the ground. But I think in this space, to truly make a difference, you have to walk on the ground. And you have to understand that while your impact is limited, there is an impact, both positive and negative. So be responsible for it every day. Yeah, I totally agree. That's how you know my thought process has had to change over the last few years myself being in this space. And just knowing that by you doing those little things, you might not feel it's making a difference, but it makes a huge difference, especially to the people around you because you're setting this really cool example and people can watch from a distance and be subconsciously changed, which is really cool. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. Don't you think though, just on a different thought and to go against you, like 50% of the world had been marketed to that the world is bad, everything's ending, we should, you know, go campaign and stop this. And then 50% of the world probably think that technology is going to save us. Business will make a new product. We'll make a shoe that lasts forever with technology enabled that comes all the way back to us. Um, it's just going to take a time and we'll hit a tipping point. And then, so you've got essentially two groups, if you wanted to generalize them. Half that just think the world's ending and they're going to campaign against it, which is no different maybe to like nuclear back in the 60s or whatever it was. Mm-hmm. except now they're saying it's the oceans and food and then 50% who think everything's going to be better because we're going to have you know meat grown in Pepsi dishes that are grown down the street where you can grow at your own home you're going to have shoes that you can recycle at your own home like those are the two arguments right and maybe business actually makes the world a better place that maybe in 2050 we're not even talking about this stuff because it's irrelevant like we're not really talking about nuclear now because it's irrelevant or do you think it is still relevant in 250? 
because of these radical people or because of business? I'm certainly, look, I'm not a smart bloke and I can't really tell you what, what role nuclear will play in 2050. It's still relevant today though, you know, with yeah. what's going on and all that sort of stuff. I think the, uh, I, I, I think I, I, the people I don't meet aren't sort of thinking that technology will change this. I think mindset changes things. Yeah. Uh, and I think it's, it's becoming more obvious. I, I, I accept that in the 80s we sort of, I don't know, maybe we threw stuff out of the car and didn't even think about the repercussions. Um, but today, if you're throwing stuff out of the car, you think, really? It's sort of, I think society's evolved enough to, to see the impact of, of the changes that we've made, particularly yeah. since, you know, the Industrial Revolution. You sort of say, they're significant. And I think, you know, climate change is influenced by man. It's not caused by man. You sort of go, it's a natural phenomenon. There's no doubt about that. And that's where all the argument comes in, is yeah. how much it's caused by us. And, how much, and you go, it's almost irrelevant. You sort of go, but... There's no doubt that our species is having a really huge effect on the world, and I think people are cognizant of that now. It's just the process of fixing it. Mm -hmm. I, I, I think it's, but I, it'd be, I don't think I've ever met a person that say, well, technology will fix this. I think it's a, a commitment to, to work, uh, to truly, as I was saying about businesses now, truly collaborating. I think it's about us understanding that we're part of an ecosystem, and we don't own it. Well, I think, I think this is a good point, which I'm going to tie back, is that, you know, a, a Steve Jobs philosophy of the world was that you didn't give money to the charity and you just made a product so remarkable that everyone used it and you influenced everyone, right? And then, but the second thought was, you know, Microsoft would be that you made a product, you make enough money, you give some to charity and you make the world a better place. And isn't it, and if you thought about technology, couldn't that be the same way that you build products that are so remarkable that naturally makes the world a better place that you didn't actually have to give something back in a Tom's-like scenario or purposeful scenario. Yeah, but I think if, if let's let's look at both of them. You sort of go if uh, and you look at Bill Gates and you go the amount of money that he's gone he's given back to philanthropic causes is just remarkable, and he and his wife should be congratulated. But you sort of but then you sort of go, but he's he's sort of giving away the outcome, and and you go on the journey of building those computers was the mindset, I will use my business as a force for good and make the world a better place in the development of my product. And I don't know the answer. You'd have to go and ask Bill. Yes. But I would suggest that he's become more philanthropic once he's achieved his success. Yeah, and that you came go, after. I think, I think business now, um, the, the, the way you do it is as important as the outcomes. You, I don't think we have the luxury anymore to say, you know, we'll use really cheap labour We'll get these shoes made really, really cheap. We're going to do it unethically. Oh, but at the end of the day, we'll give a pair for everyone you sell. You can't do that. So you have to go through and say, okay, you know, we have to pay people properly. We have to have a code of ethics. We have to do all of these things. And I think that's just going to become stronger and stronger. And now, so, so that would be my comment about Microsoft. And the one about um, uh, Steve Jobs, and again, this is just, you know, my, I, I'm sort of, I'm in the world of bloody. Uh, <laughs> I made a decision a while ago because apparently all cool people got Apple, so I just sort of, you know, I'm that, I'm that pathetic that I just went down that road. And so I now have, you know, everything I do is Apple. But I, I look at it and I go, I'm slightly saddened that when they bring out a new phone, I just can't plug in upgrades because this phone, I've had it, I don't know, uh, maybe two or three years. It seems good to me. 
but if I really want the latest one, I have to buy the new one. And they change that plug all the time. Every time I change my phone, and I go, you know what, Apple, I'm starting to get a little bit jaded with you because yeah. you, you, you're not you're giving me product that I like. But the balance now is that are you truly caring about the environment and how you're manufacturing? And I question that they are. And so as a I was an avid supporter five years ago. I'm a reluctant buyer now. In fact, I don't buy. But, yeah. but I, I would consider changing, except that it's, you know. There's nothing else so remarkable, is it? The, <laughs> the, and, but do you also think part of this change is, one, we've got more money, and then two, uh, access to build something compared to the industrialized age where you have to build a factory that made all the shoes has changed, that you can actually go build this shoe down the street or in China and you, all you need is your computer, you don't actually need a factory now or even to visit China. Do you think that's part of it? And so people actually just have to change if you want to be part of it, even be in the market because anyone can buy the shoe from China. The two comments I'll make is that, you know, as we've got more money, it's interesting that um, if you're going to talk about a global village, there's some people with more money and a lot with less. Um, albeit that, that uh, poverty is getting less, I accept that, but the, the ratio between rich and poor is, is being divided. So I sort of think that's one comment. And also, as we're evolving to becoming more, uh, you know, we, we can do things ourselves, our, our footprint's still getting worse. Yeah. Um, so I think, um, I think you know, it'd have to be unbelievable technology. But if you look at the really smart people in the world, they're all talking about going to space. Yeah, um, and you go, and uh, which I think. Have you bought a ticket yet? No, <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm not great on height, um, and, and I have no desire to go to space. To Above thirty thousand feet, anyway. Oh uh, yeah, over thirty. <laughs> I could do, I could do forty quite well. I'd like actually, from a, a, a you know, it makes no difference certainly. I probably would like to go to space and be cool. But you yeah. sort of go. I think we've got bigger issues. I really think that. Um, as as the population gets bigger, which is probably one thing we haven't talked about, which is a significant issue, particularly if we keep our uh, footprint up like it is now. Um, there's going to not only if, if we today didn't have any more population, but uh, the Indian population used as much carbon as the Australian population did, we'd have significant. You know, there'd be a lot of problems, yeah. as it would be in China and all that. And you sort of. And the, the really sad thing is that as they become more affluent, they look at our world and go, I want to be like you. Yeah. And, and they eat our food and all that sort of stuff, which is why they're having more heart attacks and getting fatter. And, and we should be, as we evolve, we should be looking at them saying, we want to be like you. Um, you know, we shouldn't eat as much meat as we can, should and we should eat more vegetables and all that. And it's just, we're going the wrong direction. It's, um, so it's, do you think marketing changes that or does actual products and systems change that? I always, and just to give you a bit of context, I always remember um, they bought out potatoes in England and no one would eat the potatoes and so the Queen tried to work out how she would sell potatoes and she put a potato patch in front of her you know, castle and then put a security guard around the potato patch and everyone walked past and said, what is that? And they said, oh, it's potatoes. And so people started thinking, I want potatoes too. Do you think in that same story sense, actually, you can market and influence the Indian community to do that regardless, and it's just that, that no one's marketed to them in the right way yet? I think so. The benefit of the potatoes, got if you roast it, my God, how nice is it? It's, yeah. It's <laughs> awesome to eat. So I think you can sort of market as much as you like, but if you eat a raw potato, yeah. 
you know, I don't care how much you market that, mate. I, I, I am in the raw. Yeah. Um, and so I think that there's a balance of both. I think you sort of say there has to be legitimacy behind what you're marketing. Um, yeah. And I, I think it's and I think it is broader than marketing. I think it's doing, um, which is which is so it's not just pitching, which I think uh, cynically people would say you know marketers just created a need that maybe you didn't even know that you had that need and then they get you to buy stuff you probably don't even need and it's far broader than that i think the while i'm i i uh you know your story has relevance um i think the end result has to be more than just a, a marketing pitch mm-hmm. it has to be a product like <laughs> apple that we keep on buying because it's so yeah. good and there's nothing else as good yeah. as it there's no way i give it up it's like i love it I think, but I, I think it's interesting that the 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 uh, the only way we get people to to do things is to engage with them, okay. And then once you're engaged with people, then you can inspire them to change. And I think one of the handbrakes for engagement is the language that we use. Yeah. Uh, and I, I sort of and I, I found this very much when I was sort of at my. Uh, high energy days of climate change um, not that I haven't got energy for it now I just do it in a different way um, but I you know when I rang up CEOs to try and get to their uh, to their leadership team to talk to them about how they had an obligation to make the world a better place if I used the word green um, straight away they'd sort of you know they just they'd categorize me yeah, yeah mate mm-hmm. pretty busy got a business to run <laughs> we have got someone in this building somewhere um, who cares about the environment yeah, cares about the environment. Have a chat to them because you, you'll have a lot in common. The token yeah. guy with the reusable water bottle. It's funny. I can even relate that back to my business. You know, we're you, you know we're getting rid of single-use plastic out of major events, and yeah. the minute we say you know we'll get rid of single-use plastic, we'll automatically buy a pasta. But if we say to the event you're going to save a lot of money and make a lot of money, then the CEO is straight into it, or the commercial manager, and you've got the deal done. There you go. <laughs> exactly right. So I think we've just got to be. You know, to truly engage the world and to engage every business, we have to use language which engages everyone. And what language is that? It's smart language. Give it's, us some uh, examples. Give us your, what would, give what us would your you answer. say to the CEO rather than saying green? What would you go say? Well, I use the word smart. Yeah. And, that's, and it's an acronym. But I, I sort of, so if I ring up, I'll give you two, two things. I sort of, I ring up and say, G'day, I'm John Elliott. I work for Nike. Uh, I chair their environmental group. So you drop the word Nike, they think that, you know, that's good. And, and then you go, uh, I work for their environmental group. And, you know, we've, we've done some really cool things. Straight away, they've made a decision. You're either in or you're out. Because of the environmental word? Yes, because of the environmental word. Yeah. They might have liked the Nike thing. They think, oh, I can get a free pair of shoes off this dude uh, <laughs> yeah. or whatever. Um, so that still might be an Okay. But as soon as they use the word environment or sustainable, I lose them. So yeah. it's exactly the same focus. So good I'm John Elliott. I've been work, working for Nike for a couple of years, and we've incorporated some really smart business principles that have been outstanding for our business. And I'd love to share them with you. Now, if you say no to something smart, it makes you look dumb. Yeah. And this is, uh, I think, this is probably more a male comment than a female comment. But if you, blokes don't like looking dumb, and I know women don't. <laughs> We girl, females do. So I think by using that word, I sort of thought, actually, I get traction 100% of the time by using the smart word. And I thought, okay, how, what, do I do, what do I do with smart? Because I don't, 
I just don't want it to sound like I'm smart because that's certainly not the case. But you sort of go, but how then do I, once I've got the door open and I'm sitting down at the thing, then I can explain smart. And so I, so I will. So smart is uh, an, an acronym. I think this is a Nike thing. They sort of, uh, the last thing in the world needs another acronym, but never mind. So S is for sustainable. And my definition of sustainability, which I think needs to be defined because everyone uses it in so many different ways, I call it an equilibrium of people, profit, and planet. Okay. I don't, I don't think it's a true balance, but as, and I, I quite like the word equilibrium because in, in, uh, you know, in the world uh, or in biology, it is an equilibrium, isn't it? Yeah. It peaks and troughs, yeah. and so I think that for me is sustainability. Uh, M is for motivational. I think. Again, if we sort of if we're sort of saying we want to change the world together, you go pretty lofty uh, goal. Um, oh, sorry, no, that's that's A. M is motivational. <laughs> so <laughs> get ahead of myself. <laughs> so M is motivational because we have to we have to motivate others to to come with us and and to inspire them to to incorporate change and all that. A is for achievable because I think sometimes the goal is quite lofty and it's really important to celebrate. Um, achievable goals so you know if you do want to make the world a better place through business you go okay how and then bring it back to achievable goals and reward yourself and acknowledge that you've achieved uh, you, you're taking the steps in the right direction R is for which I changed when I first came up with it it used to be uh, reduce reuse recycle then I read Yvonne Sherinard's second book <laughs> A Responsible Company and I changed it straight away because I never liked those three I thought it was a bit wordy so R is just for responsible, and if you haven't read Avon's book, you should. It's Avon. Avon. Yeah, okay. it's awesome. Avon. Let my people yeah. go surfing. It's a great yeah. book. Nice. That, his second book is called A Responsible Company. Oh, there you go. Yeah, yeah, and so and that's really a forty-year history of Patagonia and what he's learned. And okay. so you can have forty years of a great mind just by reading his book, and you go, it's a really nice roadmap for any business to read. And and it's, he basically says. That we can't say we don't do harm. We just have to be responsible for our for what we do. Um, so that's our, and T is transforming because we you know we, we're currently where we are, but we have to transform into a better society and a better species and, and make the world a better place. So that's smart. Um, and so I think by using that terminology. It, it's hard for people to say no to you. And it's been uh, well received when you've used it to get in the door? Yeah, absolutely. I know I, I, um, I was at Sustainability Victoria, oh, God, maybe four years ago or something, when I sort of thought it's the, it's the length. Actually, it was a lot more than four years ago. How time flies. It was um, about 12 years ago. Um, and and I, was, I, I came up with this smart sort of thing, and I was telling uh, one of the guys there, and he said, oh, do you mind if... We use that. I said, mate, I don't care. Everyone should use it, you know. So, and I went up there next year for a, a thing, and they had like smart outcomes. I thought, oh yes, that's awesome. So, you sort of, I think we're seeing the word smart more and more. Maybe not the same acronym and all that, yeah. but I, it's not mine to license. It's sort of like, you know, I, I quite like it. I use it a lot, and if anyone wants to pinch it and run with it, go for it, because it, it's truly, it's not about me making a difference. It's about us making a difference, and, yeah. and you have to share. Every single tool that you got in your in your case together, because um, to keep anything stupid, like why why would you? Yeah, well, yeah. Consider it pinched. I've taken it. Good. Well done. <laughs> <laughs> right. uh, yeah. Well, 
John, so we're on this theme of 2050. What do you think the world's going to look like in 2050? It'll um, it'll be a lot more. There'll be a lot more people, eh, <laughs> than what there is. So uh, a lot more populated. Um, we'll we'll have to have come. I, I think we would have reached so many tipping points from an environmental viewpoint that you would think there'll be significant change. Um, but to to your point before, I think technology, uh, you know. Uh, It'll, it'll be required to change. We're already seeing that with cars now that we're using, you know, hydrogen and we're using electricity and all that sort of stuff. Um, albeit, you know, for, for people that are passionate about climate change, it never happens quick enough. But, um, but out of necessity, we know um, invention comes. And as it becomes more and more obvious and we stop arguing whether climate change is real, you sort of go, as we reach certain things, um, I, I think society will cope better. It's just for me. It's a shame we're not doing it now because it's just an easier problem to fix. Um, but what we'll look like, I think, we'll, we'll just have to have, we'll have to be more cognizant that we can't work against Mother Earth. We um, we be getting a coffee and a compostable cup. I well, I don't I don't have takeaway cups. Oh, there we go. <laughs> High five. Yeah. Will, 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 your, will our shoes have RFID t- chips or technology enabled shoes? You think so? It's sort of you know, and you sort of go, well, people have technology chips in them, and I don't know, anything's possible, isn't it? That would I really mean, help for all the shoes that wash up on the beach. We could find out who their damn owners are, <laughs> and shoot them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we could keep the population down. I'm, I'm, I'm saying it. Um, the uh, yeah, look, I, I think. Will the, we still be drinking Coca-Cola? Oh no! I don't. The last time I ever used Coca-Cola was to show someone what it did to a two-cent coin. So it was obviously a while. That was ago. a while ago. <laughs> yeah, it was. It's been a while since I've had Coke. But it's um. It, it, I think. Yeah, I, I just think we will uh, will be we'll, we'll have to be more aware um, that we we're all connected to each other. I don't think we'll have this. Oh, I'm Australian. You're New Zealander, and you know you sort of say there will be a, a true community, uh, global community, and there'll be lots of challenges with that, which we're seeing already, sort of wherever we create conflict, people don't want it or can't live there anymore, Um, and so they they want to move all around the world, and and, and if I could choose any place to live, I'd live in Australia. Um, Melbourne? uh, uh, Honestly, I could live anywhere. I prefer Melbourne, but you're just a fussy bastard if you can't live anywhere in Australia. (laughs) Because uh, all of them have uh, lovely points about, and New Zealand the same, you know. It's sort of, but we, um, I, I just think we, we just have to, we, we have to accept that uh, we we should share the luck and have some equality of of uh, wealth, um, and I think that will come in time. Um, but it, it obviously is taking a long time. And if you if you live in um, Africa. Um, you're probably sick of waiting, you know. So, yeah. you sort of, so, what obligation do we have to try and change that quickly? And you go, I think it will change in course. Like we can already see the transition from China to India, um, and then it'll happen at India to, to Africa, um, because a lot of what we and this is what you were talking about before. You know, a lot of if you make a pair of shoes, the average pair of shoes, and I'm not sure if this is true for Tom's, but the average pair of shoes uh, goes through 22 sets of hands. Okay. So. You know, the cost of manufacture is really, really high. Will that be gone by 2050? Possibly. 
Yes. Will it be different? Possibly, but you sort of go, it's. Um, but will there be an equality of, of, uh, of, of wealth uh, amongst the world? I would hope by 2050 the answer would be yes. And then we're going to have to knuckle down and say, okay, how do we feed this community? Yeah. Now, if, if there's 14 billion of us rather than seven, um, we, we better stop um, giving all that grain to cows. To Technology save will save us. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, John, it's been great to chat. You've got a lot of ideas and it's, it's been useful, especially the whole purposeful business, um, how we should be talking to CEOs rather than having dreads in our hair, get our hair shaved and have a, sh- you know, <laughs> put on some glasses and say smart. Um, it's great. Yeah, yeah kind of was, And I think, as I say, I, I really, I, I, I'm not down on grannies. I love them to death. They have their role to play. And I guess the point of that is that if, if we don't all have to play the same role, otherwise... It's just do what's natural to you. You know, yeah. you've obviously, you've both got circles of influence which you use well. Yeah. Um, so and, and 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 you're doing something positive to change that. So I, I sort of think that's awesome. And if you ever get to a stage where you do have a global presence, yeah. You know, what what a privilege and an honour that would be. But it's not necessary to change. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. The the biggest the biggest threat we have to not making the world a better place is for people feeling daunted about what they or how they can do things and you go if we all do something today and we're doing like tomorrow we're, we're taking a day off and just hanging out with sea shepherd and cleaning up a little beach at morty alec and you go will that change the world no it won't but will it, it will it make other companies think well maybe we should take one day off a year just to go and help others even though we're a helping company and i think it's through that you know not by saying oh yeah you know, aren't we great but just by providing practical examples so other people go, wow, that's cool. It's sort of, and to be honest, I'm really excited not to come to the office for the day. It'd be great. <laughs> Living the dream. Pick up stuff on the beach. It's sort of, it'd be better off if there was nothing on the beach and hopefully that in 2050 we'll go down our beach and have all a beer. We'll find, all we'll find is sand and yeah. lots of fish swimming in the ocean. We'll I love it. Explore. Thanks so much, John. Yeah, that was awesome. You're a legend. Thanks, John. Absolute, uh, absolute pleasure. And I just, it's, it, it, it's, uh, if we're going to stop recording maybe for a second or whatever I didn't realise at the start that the start would be me about drinking red wine so <laughs> if, 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 just see how that sounds it comes well we, we think it sounds really good if you're happy okay. with it <laughs> I, I, I couldn't get people that know me well know that I drink too much red wine that's alright you only had six bottles that night yeah, it wasn't seven I should have said it wasn't just me like there's ten people there I didn't drink the whole thing <laughs> Sure, sure. You were just getting prepped for today. It's okay. <laughs> All right. Well, lovely to chat. It's yeah. Great. Thanks so much, John. It was great. The work you're doing. It's sort of it's it's um it's bloody awesome. Oh, likewise. Well, if you have anyone else you think we should interview, just let us know. Yeah, absolutely. Have you talked to? It's interesting. Um, we're not recording this now, are we? No. No. Okay. Um, <laughs> I, I met Daniel from Thank You. Yeah. Have you met him? No. He's uh. He, I tried to. Uh, I had a. I, I really think that for-profit businesses, and, and let me step back a bit. The great thing about Tom's is that all we concentrate is the outcomes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, you buy a pair, we'll give a pair. And some people do say to me, "So what's that cost? Now, what's the cost of that pair of shoes?" And you say, "Well," and I use the analogy in Australia. So we give shoes in Brunswick Street, Fitzroy just down the corner um, and we give shoes in Kununara now which one do you reckon costs more they go oh shit it must cost you a fortune to get it to Kununara and you go yeah it does 
So it's cheaper to give in Brunswick. So I think that's a really nice way of sort of saying it, it doesn't matter about the cost. It's really the outcomes that are important. And the problem I have with non-for-profits yeah. is that we give 100% of our profits to the cause. And you go, awesome. First question, were you profitable in your first year? And they, oh, yeah, well, yeah. So, okay, but if you're not profitable, does that mean you do nothing? Exactly. And you go, okay. And I said to Daniel, I said, so without being rude, I said, but I have an inquisitive mind. How much do you pay yourself? He goes, I'm not telling you that. I said, why not? Yeah, why would you not be transparent? Yeah, because I want to know because you're now making money the issue. Yeah. yeah. Okay, you're going to give 100%. It's an absolutely logical... And I said to him, Daniel, I really like you. I've bought your freaking book. I think what you're doing is great. Um, but I I can have a $10 million business and if the three of us own it and I give you $3 million and you $3 million and me $3 million, we've got $1 million left. So we'll give that to charity, eh? Yeah. But if we only get 100000 each, I've got a shitload more to give. And it's a fair question, yeah. I think. I think, yeah, for someone like uh, thank you, they should be authentic about it, right? It's no different to Steve Jobs saying, I would only take a dollar a year and then everything else is the business. Forget a super yacht and everything else. And then, or John Key in New Zealand saying he's only going to pay himself a dollar a year and he's, not, he's going to donate the you know $200,000 income to charity. Um, that, that's authentic, right? But and especially if you have a not-for-profit and you're saying, I'm giving all profits to charity. Yeah. It still is not true. It should be a fully transparent company. Yeah, and I think it's, it's sort of, and I think also to expect that people, you know, John Keyes was in a position and those people are in a position where they can afford it. Now, yeah. Steve Jobs wasn't on the bones of his ass. He had shit like <laughs> Yeah, and yeah. So, go, so for people like me and for, the, for, you know, normal people, you sort of go, well, I have to earn an income. And if, in fact, if my business is really successful, um, as long as there's some criteria, I think being... Uh, the B Corp community, the CEO can't earn any more than uh, a times 10 factor of the lowest employee. So there's sort of a, whether that's right or wrong, that's the gauge, you know. Yeah. So, you, so at least there's some guidelines in there. Because I think it's unfair, Daniel goes, oh, well, I only pay myself $10,000 a year. So I make you an idiot. How do you pay your mortgage? Like, you yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, you should so probably be saying, I pay myself 100 k a year. And... X goes to charity. Yeah, but I think even if you look at business and you, you know, and I, the, the worst, the worst ones, you look at uh, Australia Post, the guy that left there that was earning five, six million dollars a year or whatever. The, the, the corporate money that's available for very, very good CEOs is significant. You're yeah. talking millions of dollars. Yeah, like Westfield. I think West so Farmers pays himself twelve million. Right? Sorry? West Farmers pays himself twelve million million a year. I think I saw the lot. West Farmers. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly right. So, so, so this, and you sort of say, oh, but you know, we're a company that cares, and you go, but if I don't know, so if Daniel paid himself eight hundred thousand dollars a year, I have no idea. I would look at that and go, well, shit, he's done a good job, and if it, if the business can afford it, and the, the 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 thing that's missing in this whole thing is what are your outcomes, Daniel? What are your outcomes? Mm -hmm. And I asked him that, and, and it's sort of almost, no, no, but John, you can trust me. We give 100%. I don't give a fuck about the money, mate. Yeah, what 100% is, could out? be one buck. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and how do you feel about selling fucking 
something that takes four litres of water to hold yeah. Like, fuck me, don't you think that's... Did you actually ask him that or no? Yeah, yeah. Because I've always wanted to ask that, him these things. Exactly. And he basically said... Because then we will. If we don't do it, if we don't do it, well then Someone else there's will. no good out. All right. You go... It's... I don't know. It's sort of... He's doing good enough, right? Which, in his mind, in the argument is, is what a good enough isn't good enough. <laughs> and, and, but the thing is, that, and I don't even know what they are. I think the really nice thing about a for-profit is that you have a responsibility. We're very outcome-driven. You do this, we will do that on your behalf. And I think it's almost like charities. I, I look at charities and I, there's a huge void in the market at the moment because historically charities, and you sit around the table with them, which I, I'm on a strategic board of one of them, um, and uh, actually two of them now, because um, I'm on the board of Save the Children's retail thing as well. But they tend to be, and this isn't talking about Save the Children, but just uh, yeah. as a comment, they tend to be holier than now. Now we we are here because we care. Yeah, we're not we're not a business. Uh, we're here to fix you know the world's problems, and we need money to do that. But we're not a business. And you go, okay, I, I get it, because you see business as bad. They're profit making bastards. And we like to sort of keep at arm's distance. It, I find it ironic that they go to the government and put their hand out and take our money anyhow. But anyhow. Yeah. But you sort of go, but, and when with my B Corp hat on, I'm talking to seriously big businesses. You know, every business I talk to goes, John, we want to elevate purpose. We need to help people. And you go, well, don't start your own shit because you won't be very good at it because you're really good at doing this. So just do that. But why don't you align with the charity and really mean something to each other? Yeah. And you go, and the charity goes, oh, geez, I don't think I could align myself with the bank. And you go, a bank like a bank like the NAB makes a million dollars every 15 minutes. By the, you know, this conversation we've had, they've yeah. just made six million bucks. And you okay. go, fuck me, you give them a million dollars to a charity, they can, they can, you know, they run on the smell of an oily rake, but they're not engaging yet. Yeah. No, you're right. I've thought about being the conduit next year for um, actually putting the two together, mm-hmm. just getting all this friggin' money because banks I, have got. I agree. I think there's opportunity. I think there's even an opportunity for for uh, even for you know for good oh, companies like Tom's or whatever to be part of it as well, where it's the banks oh, totally. can be collaborative, totally. or they okay. they're giving. They're giving bank branded shoes or whatever you want to call it to all the kids in Australia and that's part of it and it's free branding. It's no different to um, City Bike in New York mm-hmm. for their bike share ne- network where City Bank owns the bike share network, right? Correct. But there's a very hard process in the middle where both aren't linked up and there's no middle group person, right? Or community. Well, there will be. There'll be John. It's one or the other. But I reckon, yeah, it won't be me. I've got, <laughs> honestly, the thing I'm going to do next year, I'm going to make shoes in Australia. Awesome. Oh, cool. Which is my plan. So, and, and I'll make the outsoles out of old shoes. Yeah. So, which has never been done before. And you found another company that does something similar overseas, is it? Yeah, the company, I'm, and I shouldn't tell you this because it's in absolute, uh, it's very confidential stages, but I'll, I'll just trust yeah. you. So don't fucking tell anyone. <laughs> <laughs> so, the company that I'm using um, actually builds their uh, factories in jails. Oh, cool. Oh, cool. That yeah, seems to be a big thing right now, actually. Well, there's a lot of talk about it in Australia because we, we just want a lot more people up because, you know, they shouldn't be out in parole and blah, 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 which I sort of get, you know. You sort of, I spent three years in the police force when I was younger, so I, I sort of get that side of it. 
Yeah. And, but you sort of go, but we can't keep locking people up and just making them turn into shitheads. Yeah. yeah. They, they just generally, as a rule of thumb, people come out of prison. I love it. So they're going to make it all for you. So I've, I've had two meetings with the government. Um, the recidivists in Argentina, where they do this, they pay, the idea is we'll pay them a full salary, so award wages, okay. of which I'll give them 80%, and 20% goes back to victims of crime. Okay. Um, and not only will we teach them how to make shoes, and also apparel, and also bags, like it's limited by your imagination, yeah. basically. But they do meditation with them. They oh, okay. So what an integrated model. So not one person, there's been 80 prisoners go through in Argentina, not one of them has gone back to jail. Our recidivism rate is 43%. What a model. And and are the, are the, sorry, carry on. Sorry, I, I get to it. So <laughs> But can you imagine the indigenous community and you, you sort of go, you know, 30% of our prisoners are indigenous and they represent less than 2% of our population. And if I, again, I'm generalising, yeah. but a lot of them, you know, mum and dad are alcoholics, they live off welfare. As soon as they get to teenage, they start sniffing glue, they start doing this, and they just get into the system. And they've never in their whole life had a vehicle to add value to because exactly. the, white, the white fella gives them money to eat and all that sort of shit. They, they can't get a job because they live in faraway communities and if they do come into town, they generally are yeah. to, to blah, blah, blah. And you go, so it'll be ironic, but I reckon it, I, I'll be able to grab these kids because I know they'll be, I know where they live. They, they're in cell yeah, yeah. free. And you're there for 18 months and you say, come here, little fella, have I got a job for you? Yeah. And by the time they leave, they'll have 40 grand in their kit. Yeah. They'll have a sense of pride and purpose and they can go back to their community. Now, if Argentina is any example, not one of them will go back to jail. Now, I'm not that ambitious, but you go, if, if you can get one in ten and change their life and, exactly. and make them feel proud. And I look at the, if I was Aboriginal, I can tell you the, 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 um, the 50,000 years of looking and working with Mother Nature, I would be so proud of. The yeah, art yeah. is fucking incredible. And I value that more than they do. And I can tell you, when we go through this, I'll make them proud of their history and I'll make them proud of as being people. So they, they then leave and so we'll start doing it in prisons, but then we'll, the government will build factories for me outside of prisons as well. Uh, and they don't, honestly, they're not doing it because I'm a good bloke, but you do the sums. It costs over $200,000 a year to incarcerate one person. Oh, okay. If none of them come back, they're yeah. going to say millions and millions of dollars. So yeah. are, the, are, the, are the prisons privately or publicly? Public there's, the public, there's three in Victoria that are privately owned, oh, okay. uh, and all the rest are public. Mm -hmm. um, so we're looking at low, uh, medium to low. Uh, and you're looking to work with private ones or public ones? I'm gonna no, I'll, I'll work with uh, publicly because I okay. get money from the government. Okay, yeah. love it. But, but only it, it's not you know pedophiles, rapists, murderers. You can go fuck yourself. I don't want anything to do with you. Do you know what I mean? Sort of yeah. like bad guys. They're bad, but you sort of go. We've all, shit, I reckon before I joined the police force, I could have gone to jail for some of the stupid shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I just didn't get caught. You know, so yeah. there are people that have made mistakes and they should have the ability to get out of it. So, yeah, yeah so that's, I'm really, I love it. that's I'm awesome. If I hadn't got the arse from Tom. So there's always a silver <laughs> line, eh? Exactly. Well, you, we'll cool. have to get you on for another one later on down the line when, when it's all up and running. Cool. I probably would have had red wine the night before. We'll see how we go. Excellent. <laughs> <laughs> we can have one during the podcast. It'll be good. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Thanks, we'll John. Stay in touch and thanks. Yeah, definitely. Ready. We'll be in touch soon. Good on you. You're a legend. Thanks, John. Thanks, John. Yeah. Bye.